When you let someone go because their behaviour has voted themselves off the island, you're freeing them up to go off onto where they're going to be suited better and you're also gifting them an amazing experience that they can learn from. If you deny them that growth experience by hiding or shielding or compromising it, you're just delaying the inevitable. It doesn't help them if you enable them for a bad habit. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 1040. Today we answer the big question that I know is on your mind. What is the difference between a manager and a leader? There is some subtle differences. I've brought along our leadership, our integrator expert, Lloyd Thompson from Virtual Do. That's DOO.com. Hello, Lloyd. Good to see you. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. A regular guest on the show. Of course, you're good with people and systems, and you're helping all these visionaries get their visions implemented so that they get the results they're after. Uh, I've been sending lots of people your way. They always come back and say, fantastic, thank you, this was the missing piece of the puzzle, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let's talk about management and leadership. I remember years back, I mean, all these books on there, when I became a, a sales manager, and this is probably around about um, 1999, I went down to the Australian Institute of Management bookstore. I bought six or seven books on management. And it talked about the difference between a, a manager and a leader that um, managers are just managing things and, and leaders are more coaching their team, et cetera. And I'm just wondering if any of that's changed or is it similar a couple of decades later? What's your point of view? Because I'm sure you came through different tracks and uh, you know, should we be one or the other? Do we need to know the difference at all? Or will we be all replaced with AI? <laughs> let's, start with, <laughs> let's start with how are they different? Like, what do you define a manager versus a leader in the first place? Yeah. So I think managers still more about command and control. So I think what you've just said is still current. There's nothing that's changed there. It's just that when I'm looking in the conversations that are taking place on, say, social media, there's more talk now about manager and leader than I've seen before. So I think, oh, let's talk about that. So, yeah, manager, more command and control. We're thinking about someone who's putting in uh, systems and processes and then making sure that the team adheres and complies to this. They're going to be someone who's like a reactive problem solver, someone who looks at data and then decides, you know, what are we going to do next? Whereas a leader, when I think of a leader, I think of someone who rallies everyone together to move towards a goal or a vision. And a good leader, in my opinion, is someone who's going to also create new leaders, like what you just said earlier about uh, having a coach, like someone who's going to move them in that in that direction. So really focusing on enabling and bringing up others. And so I think they are different. On one hand, it's that compliance. These are the things that need to get done and by when and making sure that control mechanism is there and pushing that down. Whereas I think leadership's more of like a pull. It's like bringing those people towards you, showing them the direction we want to go and getting everyone on board. And there's a relationship aspect to this. So I tend to find that leaders are more empathetic. They have a higher EQ. And I think that's when I've seen a transition for people. Like there's some people might be, they might have come out of, say, a technical role and they might have eventually moved into a management position. And their first instinctive move is to say, okay, these are the things to be done. This is a description of how it's done. Let's make sure the whole system is running and that's fine. But the, the later piece about, okay, how are we going to change things? Uh, uh, the soft skills, 
that's a different skill entirely, and that's a harder thing to teach. So that's what I would say the differences are. Do you think the conversation is happening on social media more now because of the great resignation? Because, you know, post-pandemic, it's been harder for companies to actually capture their employees in a command and conquer way, like have them come into the office. So I, I mean, you're a great example of that. You used to go into the office before I met you, <laughs> and then I met you, and now you don't go into the office, right? You just travel around wherever you feel like it, and you've got some leverage in, in life. But also I noticed generationally, the people who are in the earlier phases of the workforce, I anecdotally hear a lot of them tell me like they've never actually had a, a corporate job, whatever. They could see easier to be a freelancer or a social media influencer or to work from anywhere. That's become a thing that wasn't around in my generation. So do you think people would be resistant to that management command and control type leadership? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point about the great resignation because that certainly I was a part of that. Yeah. I, and I think, I mean, personally for me, I know I prefer to be led than managed. And I think that people are really assessing their options. And, and in a place where we can now work freely and remotely, these old command and control mechanisms might not be as effective as they were before. Like I can think of people who were used to clock watching, you know, they're going to say, okay, my team's in at this time and they're out at this time. And they're not necessarily looking at the outputs of their work. They're instead really just, they're they're not focused on exactly how it's going to work, like where they're going. They're just literally looking at, oh, they came in at nine, they left at six. Okay, great job done. And that's not really going to work. Whereas I think for me, how I'm hiring people I like to think of myself as an, as an artist. I'm proud of my work. I treat it like art. And then similarly, when I'm hiring people, I don't want to be someone who's a micromanager for them. I want to set them goals. I want to inspire them to do, you know, this is the direction I'd like you to move in. And I can think about when you talked about the great resignation, actually, before I'd spent most of my career in financial institutions and a good 10 years of that in an in investment bank, And what I noticed there is that all of the people I'd reported to over time, they were all very good at getting stuff done. They were all very intelligent people, all very good at making sure that the team are going to comply. But what was different is how they did it and how they did it made all the difference. And so I can think about, I had this one manager, I'm going to call him Albert. And uh, Albert's not his name. Not his real name to protect the real character. (laughs) It's not his name. Um, Albert was very much a politician, managed upwards, blamed downwards. When things didn't go well, there'd be a public beheading and off of someone's head and out they went. And he'd get in new people all the time. He wouldn't develop his own team. And it was, I mean, for me working for him, I was, it felt like I was a mercenary, you know, sort of executing the, the deeds of some evil oversight and, um, it was just a matter of time for him because the way he worked is it was like you were with him or you're against him. And I did wonder how long that was going to last. And I'm, I'm still not quite sure to this day whether this person, uh, he was made redundant, whether it was because public fe- uh, staff feedback, they have these things in corporate world, they call them 360s, everyone provides feedback, whether it was something like that or it was the kind of natural thing that you get in corporate world where there's this team and there's that team, and then at some point there's a merger and one overtakes the other. So that's an example of one kind of character that I've come across, and I would say he was very much a manager and nothing else. He was missing this 
other component of leadership. And so I think that you need to have both. You need to have that mechanism of control. And it's not about manipulating people to get stuff done with fear. It's about also being able to galvanize people and bring them on board. And so the good news in this story is that later on, I did get another manager and I'm going to call him Pete. His name was Pete. And the difference was amazing. Like the first day that he came in was actually the day before I went on leave. And I was, I was going off on holiday and he said, hey, look, I know it's 4.30 in the afternoon. You're just meeting me now. But I just want to tell you before you go on holiday, I want you to just think about what you want to do when you come back. Like, where do you want to grow? What would you like to contribute? What's your strengths and weaknesses? Just have a really think about like what you really enjoy in your role, what you don't enjoy, where you want to go. Because when you come back, we'll have a chat about that and work out what's best for you. And if, if this is the hat you want to stay in, you want to move somewhere else. And that was a really strong impression. So I'm thinking, is this guy for real? Is this going to be how it's going to be? And so when I came back from a holiday, true to his words, you know, we sat down, we talked about it. And this person was a leader creator. So he was a leader. He was also someone who could make sure that things were enforced as well. And make, you know, make, he did have that manager aspect as well, but he was much more of a leader. And, um, you know, I remember the first big challenge I had, I had to estimate this absolute monster project and I was used to estimating projects, but this thing, there was a few things I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to do this? And so I went to him and I said, hey, look, this is what I've done so far. These are the gaps are, this is where the gaps are. I wouldn't mind if we can just bounce a few ideas around. And rather than him just saying, well, do this, do this, do this, he just played it out like a coach. It's like, well, he obviously had an idea in his mind is where he thought, where how he would address it and he spoke to me and he said yeah look i'm just going to ask you some questions let's play it out basically he coached me through how to getting this done and so away you know coming away from that i actually learned something so that i could use that again and again and again so the difference there was very much a leader as opposed to just a manager who's going to make sure that there's compliance and also another difference i noticed over the time of working through him is that the retention in the team was much higher now, just having those simple conversations about, you know, wh- where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And um, spending time with people to make sure that they're moving in that direction, it makes a huge difference. That's very interesting. Um, so do you think there is a place for managers or is it a completely dinosaur role? No, I think there is. A, I think there's definitely a place for them. Um, I would say, you know, if I look at what I call situational leadership, if you've got a grad coming in, it's very hard to just coach a grad from the get-go because they don't even know what they're doing. So when they come in, you're going to say, okay. Is this um, a university graduate? Yeah, university graduate. Oh, or, I bet they think they know all about how they're doing. Yeah, I'm sure they do. But they come in, they're pumped. They've got lots of energy. They've got four or five years' worth of theory ready to roll. Well, that, there's a thing behind that because there's kind of two dimensions to how you should really work with someone. There's that coaching style and is that management style and you do see when a grad comes in they're full of energy they're pumped under their own steam so you don't actually need to give them much energetic support and coaching in the beginning because they've already got all of that energy but what you do need to say is this is what you're actually going to do so that's where the manager side is really important these are the steps this is what needs to be done by when come back to me if we need to go through this again that's very much the command control how to do your job and by when But later on, as they get good at something, that needs to change because if you're constantly managing, 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 and they don't need it, they've grown those skills, 
then that's where you're going to move into a coach. Like, hey, where do you want to go next? What do you want to do? What's the next skill that you're going to learn? And perhaps when they start that next skill, that's when it goes back to the beginning. That's when you might need to switch more back to that management style and guide them again. So I think there is a place. I think a good, it's not manager or leader. I think it's both. I just think it generally starts with someone coming out of management and moving into more of a leadership role, but they still need to keep those management skills. So it sounds like a good leader is able to manage people and also lead them. Absolutely. I think it's like um, it's like bamboo. I think if you, you've got to be sort of flexible and be able to move, but, but firm also, and adaptable, but also when you need to be firm, like, hey, look, there was a breach here or someone's not following policies, you can't just go, yeah, hey, look, I'll, I'll support you and guide you and make sure everything's okay. No, no, you need to be able to say, look, actually, there needs to be a consequence here. You know, if I'm seeing repeat failure after what I've talked you through, then we need to do something about this and we need to call them out and say, look, this isn't aligned with our values or this is clearly not what we've talked about. Bamboo is strong. My next door neighbour removed the bamboo along our fence line and my whole fence line and side of the house pathway collapsed into his block. <laughs> it goes down deep and it's strong. Uh, thankfully, it was all resolved and uh, there's a very nice sturdy wall replaced there. But I learned how strong bamboo is when you take it out. It's got a lot of strength. I like that. And thanks for explaining the graduate thing. I was not a university graduate and we didn't attract many that were prepared to work Sundays in a car dealership pretty much the wild west of all the scraps of people who couldn't get proper jobs. It was like a, a rough environment. I, I mean, I don't mean, I, and I should rewind a little bit on that when I say graduate. I just use that as an example of someone who's starting fresh. So you're thinking an intern? An intern or? A new person. Someone who's just coming fresh into your, into your workplace and they're coming to work for you. It could be anyone who's perhaps not got the experience doing what you're doing before. An apprentice. So. An apprentice, yeah. It's their first day on. You're going to train them up and get them going. Not in the car dealership. That doesn't happen. It's like, there's your desk. Good luck. That was my entire onboarding. And then they all got in a car and drove home the first day. And I'm like, it was fascinating. I I really, I had a mixed bag of bosses. I'd say a lot of them would categorize as the manager type. And there was a couple of leaders in there. uh, My worst boss, my best boss, uh, and all for different reasons. So I've put some real world time into this. Have you ever seen the movie Star Wars? Of course. You remember that character Darth Vader? Of course. (laughs) Well, that was like my worst boss. And I was a bit like Luke Skywalker. You know, like he was like a father figure, but we had a bit of, um, there was a bit of conflict at the end there, you know, where he's basically trying to stab me with a steak knife uh, is the last (laughs) uh, interaction we had uh, before I moved on to the next posting. But it, it, was, uh, it was just incredibly stressful and difficult. But he was, um, he was a blend of manager and leader in a way. He insisted that I watch the Patton movie many, many times. And General Patton was an interesting guy because he really would fit the command and conquer style. Mm. But he was able to achieve more in, in battlefields than a lot of his competitors. He could move much faster and, and mobilise. But also he had minimum standards and, and was... Quite assertive, shall we say. And he ended up getting in trouble for slapping someone and calling him a coward. So the parallels between my Darth Vader boss and General Patton were, were very similar. I think he must have modelled himself yeah, right. somewhat around that character. So it was like learning the playbook. 
which is ironic in itself because in the Patton movie, Patton studies Rommel's playbook to defeat him in a tank war. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after he wipes him out using Rommel's tank strategy guide, he's like, Rommel, you fabulous bastard. Like he, he printed the playbook. But I, I tell you what, it's really interesting to hear this, that, and I think more, than, more so than ever, people aren't going to put up with a bad boss. And we see this through our recruitment business. We have a little agency, visionfine.com, my wife and I. And you can tell when an employer is more the manager type mm. because they seem to have trouble through the interview process. It's almost like they're pickier and less able to be bamboo when it comes to the candidates, yet the candidates don't last as long with them as they would somewhere else, like in my business where the people last forever, basically, unless they steal from me. And if they're reasonably good, they're going to be there forever. There's no situation where they're not working with me Mm -hmm. because we've got such a good leadership style. I, I want to coach and nurture and grow them and give them scope like Ricardo Semler does, the Brazilian billionaire with, with his self-organized managements. But that sort of leads me to the next topic. I like self-organization. I like giving massive amount of independence to my team members and they're really capable without a whole lot of instruction. And I would say they operate in a, at a high level. But how much of this is going to be, uh, I mean, it's not the case for most people. When they're starting out with someone, you have to be involved. You have to have limits and, and scrutiny and stuff. How much of the success of a leader is down to being able to get the right players on board and to manage those players effectively? So you said the word players. I'm so pleased you didn't say a player. A player is bullshit. Can we just put that out there right now? It's, yeah. it's a furphy. There's this myth of an A player. It's not true. And I've seen endless studies about this and I, I won't link to them in the notes or anything because I can't be bothered looking it up. But I, I mean, it just makes sense when you think about it, right? We can be A players at some things and C and D players at other things like on the surface, right? So I might be an A player as a mentor and I might be a, it turns out from this morning's practice that I'm probably a C player with the washing machine <laughs> because you have to read the labels on things. You have to separate different temperature washable things. You have to separate colors. You have to select the right temperature and a delicate wash and all this. And you have to spray stain stuff on things that have marks or whatever. So what you're saying, you've got a tie dye shirt that you weren't expecting now. I'm 52 and I just got a full education on proper washing technique today. Right. So this is my point. I'm an A player at mentor and I'm a C player at washing. Even though I've been doing my own washing for a long time, I haven't been doing it correctly. I'm not an A player washing machine operator. So at the first phase, we're not an A player at everything. And that's probably true of most people in our team. We can't expect them to be A players at every task. So that would automatically mean that you have to have them in the right task. And the second thing is, and this also makes sense, is that we might not be an A player all the time even yeah. in the same task. Yeah. For example, a podcast, right? Let's take this real-life example, right? Let's say this is a great discussion we're having, Lloyd. We love it. We hang up at the end. We say, that was amazing. It felt good. I think our people are going to love listening to this. We talked about some really bang-on points. And then there are other podcasts where we might hang up and think, yeah, I guess that was all right, but I don't know if it even meets the threshold to publish. You know, I felt like – yeah. Felt like we, we got bogged down in this area or we didn't really address the key topic or it didn't have good flow or whatever. So even though we're the exact same two people doing the exact same thing, but it might be at a different time of the day, different time of the week, 
a different part of our schedule. We might have other things going on in life that overlap or whatever. There could be a number of reasons why it might be categorized A, B, C, or D, or not even make the cut when all the things are the same. So I think it just makes sense that even an A player won't always be an A player. So therefore, I think A player is a myth. I just think it's more about matching people up to the right tasks and then having a framework to be able to recognize when they're on or off. And I, that's why I really like a seasonal approach of there's going to be a time to plant the seeds and there'll be a time to harvest the seeds. And I see this play out in nature. There's a time when I can surf and there's a time when I can't. I see it in my body. There's a time when I feel well rested and uh, energized. And then if, you know, if I've just got off of two flights in a row to a foreign country and I had only 20 minutes sleep in 48 hours, I feel like dog shit and I'm not going to be very resourceful. I remember actually when you and I last hung out, I just had a long haul flight, had very little sleep and we had to make a decision. And I said, can we just pause on that decision for two days while I catch up on my energy level so that yeah. I make a good decision? And that just seemed like a good idea. So there, there you go. that's my rant on A player. I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Lloyd. Uh, well, when I hear the term A player, I normally cringe. As well. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't say the word A player. And it's the perception of A player I think is important. So when I hear it in someone's talking about, say, management positions, unfortunately, in the context that I'm hearing A player, the perception of the person that's normally saying A player seems to be some kind of boss or dictator. A dictator. That's what I'm hearing. Like someone who puts fear into someone to like motivate them to get something done. And, and I think that's not a long lasting strategy. That's similar to that story of Albert. If we were talking about bamboos and things like that, it's a tree that's going to stay strong for a while until the wind really blows. And then that big oak tree is going to go down and, and it's going to be a disaster. So I really don't like that perception of a, or this point about talking about an A player as like a boss or a dictator who puts fear in a people. Is that like, tell me you don't really know about leadership without telling me you don't know about leadership? We're just too A-player centric? That's, that's, that's what it is. Straight off. I mean, that's a key word. I'm like, okay, that's a dead giveaway there. That's like when I hear closer. That tells me a lot about what I need to know about this person's approach to selling. I watched a young influencer's video about closing the other day, and he said, selling is so easy. People overcomplicate this. It's finding out what people want and then telling them that your product or service does that. That's all selling is, according to this guy. Yeah, right. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that, is, that is really very oversimplistic and uh, very inauthentic, uh, that approach to selling. That's to assume that your product or service always solves every problem that the customer's having is very short-sighted. Like, that is a hardcore closer with no values. I mean, if we're going, if we're talking about leadership, then I think it's completely the opposite to that dictator. It's that empathy, it's the EQ, it's the relationships. And to back this up, I was having a glance over Good to Great again by Jim Collins. And it's a book I go back to again and again, because it's such a good one. And for those that haven't read it, and I'm sure many, many people have, but he looks at a huge number of companies and he, he looks at the ones that he thought were great because in all types of conditions, recession or otherwise, they always performed. And he, he was like, what are the key things in, that always make these great companies work? And one of those things is what he called the level five leader. And he talks about the attributes of those people. And it couldn't be more opposite to this kind of dictator. It's someone with humility and persistence and thinking about, 
what the company needs overall rather than the individual team or personal department. It's like what's best for the company. And then they build a culture such that when that person leaves, that culture continues, whereas a trademark of some kind of egocentric driver is that when they leave, it collapses behind them. And so that's, you know, that's a big difference. And and then they take personal responsibility. So like the character Albert, who I talked about earlier, who managed upwards and blamed downwards, it's pretty much the opposite that a real level five leader would do. They're someone who's going to, when there's a problem, they're going to blame themselves. And when they, when something goes well, they're going to celebrate others. So it's quite often someone who's like a real behind the scenes, not so much of an out there ego, a quiet leader, quite often those level five leaders. So that's the first thing I'd say about this perception of the A player. And then the other thing, if I go back to corporate again, at one point I inherited this software, this dev team, and they weren't performing at their best. And I was, what is this? You know, what's going on here? And they had an expert in every type. So this is banking again. There's an expert on this type of payment system, this type of database. These people are all absolute guns. Like they really are top experts in their area. But the output and the teamwork, it just sucked. It really did. And so the problem here was that they were all these smart people with huge egos, but they didn't share, they weren't collaborating. And the problem is if someone goes on holiday, like one of those experts go, how are you going to have this thing maintained? What are you going to do about it? And so this was actually something it took me a while to do, but eventually I reshaped the the team. What I did is instead of trying to hire the best technical expert going forward, what I'd do is I'd find someone who was a good team player, a good learner, someone who's not such this egocentric, like I have to win, my code has to be the best. They're not the person building all the complexity in. Just good team players who are willing to learn and willing to collaborate. And by doing that and building up a team, they're not necessarily the strongest technicians. That's when the team were really performing well. And so I wouldn't have said that going out there, people are saying you're hiring A players. I am hiring a, a different type of A player. I'm hiring someone who's got empathy and relationship skills and doesn't care about their particular code being the best. They care about building a solution that works well with the team that everyone else can maintain. It's a very different perception. We've just described the Moneyball approach. You're going to have to tell me about that. The Moneyball. So there's a movie called The Money Moneyball and it's Brad Pitt and uh, he's basically instead of hiring the A players, like the baseball players, the people with the best swinging or the best batting average or whatever, they actually plot the statistics and look for the things that they need to have a well-rounded team. And then they hire the people who aren't the obvious hires and Mm -hmm. they just basically, they started winning. Right Now, there was a a guy in Australia called John Buchanan. He was the Australian cricket coach and he took that same concept to cricket. They would start training people to bat left and right-handed and bowl left and right-handed. And they actually ruled up the pitch into three columns and then they, had some different stages of it, and then they would teach the bowler where to place the ball and they could strategically work out the weakness of each bats person and then place the ball in the right grid to exploit that. Anyway, they brought this guy to Mercedes-Benz to teach us, the leaders, about this concept. And um, this is when we, would, we were basically tracking 
we would track the salespeople's leads, their valuations, their introduction to finance, the introduction to the manager, the follow-up, test-driven, all this sort of stuff. We actually tracked all of it in a spreadsheet and we had our own Moneyball system and we could identify, I mean, the largest team I built had 21 salespeople and I could look at that spreadsheet and I could say who's got the best closing ratio and look for the correlations, like who's doing the most test drives, who's having the most valuations. And I would also, just like you're talking about, I would specifically not hire car salespeople to sell cars. I hired pilots. I hired concierges from hotels. I hired a guy who was doing the night shift in a hotel who was um, this lovely Turkish guy and uh, he was of the Muslim culture. And he said to me, you know, it was about six months into my hotel night job service when I realized that the bacon lettuce tomato sandwich is supposed to cook the bacon, he said, because I'm Muslim and we don't eat pork. So he said, never, ever order food after midnight in a hotel because you just, <laughs> it's going to be the concierge that's preparing the meal. <laughs> and uh, it was quite funny. So anyway, these people were highly trainable. They had good service attitudes and I could teach them how to actually look after the clients. And then using this strategic approach, I could match the right salespeople to the prospects and make sure that all their stats were benchmarked. That's how we went from last to first in sales. It reminds me of, um, I, I watched recently The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Have you seen that one or the yes. documentary about the Chicago Bulls? Yeah. And he was very a playery and didn't want to share when they were trying that the new triangle technique. And eventually they realized that they have to work together to win and, and it changed everything, right? Well, I can't remember which team it was. I think it was the other, what's the other, I can't remember the other Chicago team, but they, I think they worked out you know what, they give the ball to Jordan and then Jordan does most of the stuff. So they just said, right, let's just close this one guy down, like allocate more players to Michael Jordan, what are you going to do? And it destroyed the Bulls and they had to go, well, okay, we can't be dependent on him anymore. So they had to, they had to start working as a team, otherwise they weren't going to survive. And then a similar thing happened when Scottie Pippen left the Bulls and they had to start relying on other team players like Dennis Rodman. Anyway, I can go on. Well, it's also that it, that theme replicates in uh, the, the popular... TV series Ted Lasso in the later series, he uses a similar technique. This basically the money ball approach is repeated across various different Mm. sports. But the concept here is instead of trying to find that highly paid, super fragile A player who's going to command a premium and probably leave you quickly and poach your best clients and team members, maybe it's worth aiming for having a leadership style that allows people to be coached to success even off a lower base. This is the exact approach I've always taken with my VAs. I took in people who came from call centers. They never knew about building websites or online stuff. And now most of them are doing support, editing, content stuff. And it's been a long and wonderful ride with my team to build this magical team, a dream team over time. And this is really topical because we just did our team retreat, but we all focus on the areas of the business that we enjoy and we're good at. If we don't love it, then I encourage them to learn something else within the team and move. Don't get stale. Don't get bored. Don't be overloaded. Don't be feeling like you have an unequal workload. I'm not talking about communism here, mm-hmm. but I'm saying don't get out of balance because if you can maintain balance, and this is another one of those myths People always say, oh, high performers aren't, aren't balanced. There's no balance to being a high performer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out I believe you can have a balance. 
Because if you can get in balance, then things can last a long time. Things that are out of balance burn out quickly. So the A players often, they want to skew management. They often upsell to the owner of the business too. Have you found this, that the A player is making special demands? They want to different treatment. They, yeah. want, they want to stack the odds in their favor within the business. If the owner is weak, yeah. then they're going to cave into this and then absolutely erode the culture from the inside out. I've seen it quite a few times where the A player is quite often actually, or what I call, call them the A player, I say someone who's got that good performance in a narrow band that the company has now become reliant on and not done anything about. And now they come back to the owner and start making special demands. Yes, I've seen that. Single source dependency. I call it star syndrome. Star syndrome. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They're not really a star. In fact, they it's bad apple. Yeah. They're normally the bad apple who, if you leave them unchecked, they just cause rot. Like they just, people are going, why is, why is this person getting away with that? You know, maybe I should do that too. You, you've got to deal with it. You've got to start training up other people. And it might be something that looks like, oh, okay, well, right now my campaign is running well because that person's doing a good job. It's always that. It's called compromise, Lloyd. It's like, Oh, but I, you know, this person is such a good closer or this person, you know, if, if they left, it would really dent our revenue or whatever. But if they stay, it's also going to cost you later. It's whether you pay now or pay later is often the case. Yeah. These business owners often know it. Like when we've come in to do audits. Well, of course they know it, but they, that's why you're there because they weren't able to act on it or, or maybe they didn't know it. But maybe they know it and they need an external person to be the bad guy. <laughs> that, well, that's one. I, when we've come in and done external audits or assessments before, I get a very strong feeling the business owner knows. They just want someone else to see it. Right? They just they need someone else to have that validation. And we, it's normally very obvious to us, like, you have got a huge dependency on this character. You know, why, why aren't you training more people? And I think there's a problem here. And... I just feel like they need someone else to say it to them. Sometimes they're like, okay, someone else is seeing this. And then, you know, then we can do something about it. We can be the bad cop. Perhaps they've built a good relationship with that person and they, they've been with them since the beginning or for whatever reason. And now what? that's why there's that special relationship and dependency and it's turning toxic and they don't want to be the person that gets rid of them. And so they need someone else to do it. And so, yes, that's one of the things we've seen quite a few times and that we end up helping people, helping business owners. That's why I have a personal trainer now because I want someone else to be the bad guy to make me lift those weights. <laughs> and it works. You know, I finally get, get it what it's like for my clients to have me, for, for me to have my personal trainer. It's just great to have someone else focused on just me, helping me to do the things I know I need to do and just to encourage me to do it in a, in a very positive, thoughtful, coachy way. But if you ever say, oh, I'm a bit sore or whatever, he'll just say, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so what about servant leadership? This is another popular term that we've heard. I'll let you speak first and then I'll tell you my immediate reaction to that word. So I, this is a term I've heard more and more recently, but when I looked it up, it's been around for a very long time. I think it's been around since the 70s or even longer. And um, But I do like it. So I am a big fan of servant leadership. So this is about what environment is needed to make that person thrive. You know, what do they need? Kind of that story of, my manager, Pete, who came in, or leader Pete, who, who came in and said, where do you want to go? What do you want to grow? What support do you need? And then it coached me through dealing with a really complex project, uh, some, some, a beast that I'd never dealt with. So that was a good example of servant leadership. 
And so I really do like that style. And I do think that also when you understand the needs and interests of a person, you can get the best out of them. So when you were talking about balancing your team and how they perform, I, I think it's important to understand that their interests because sometimes you can find types of work for them that they weren't doing before that they really excel at. And one example in my teams, I used to do my own creative stuff with videos. And uh, I must admit, it was pretty wacky. I got a little bit carried away with the special effects. And it turned out that one of my team members was really into this space, you know, in his spare time. He, he does quite a bit of stuff on Instagram. And he said, oh, yeah, I really like this stuff. And I think he was just too polite to tell me that I wasn't so good at this stuff. Yeah, but I don't think I was polite. No, you were like, Lloyd, this is, this is what the hell is this? <laughs> oh, like, about anybody... Anybody will, will approach this. And, and I say this because it's true for me. I'm not the best editor in my team. If we have seven people in my business, including me, then I'm the seventh best editor in my team, hands down. Yeah, yeah uh, that's, that's, that's where I've ended up. I mean, my team member who's doing this stuff, he's brilliant. And, um, you know, he's trained others. And it's not completely this person does exactly this and nothing else. Like he's not just the video editor guy. Other people can do the video editing too. It's just that that's the area he really enjoys the most. So he'll do more of a share of that. So anyway, back to servant leadership, understanding what people need and want in their environment and coaching and supporting them. Yes, huge fan. However, it's got to be a balance to this, like what it's not, right? It means that if there is a problem, like if there is someone who's playing up. It doesn't mean you're just going to roll over and let it fly, but there needs to be consequence management. And I can think of an example, actually fairly recently, we, we went into a business and they had a, someone who had become a new ops manager and he was very much a supportive character, is a supportive character. And he had worked with his team before he became the ops manager. And so they were treating him very much like a, hey, bro, you know, do we have to do this now? You know, and, and while he was trying to support them doing their work and put frameworks in place as that servant leader, the other side of it where he needs to be a little bit tough on them and say, actually, no, this needs to be here by then and then have a consequences where he was slipping up. And so that's an example where I think you do need to have that other side. And so just what we did for him, by the way, is say, look, let sunlight be the best disinfectant. So let's get all the metrics from your team and make them visible. And when they're not providing their metrics, that is a consequence. And that, that needs to have a consequence. And when the metrics are underperforming and they're not seeking help, and that's what you're there for, then that needs to have a consequence too. And it just took one consequence for one team member. And this isn't a public execution. It's just saying there is actually going to be a consequence. Something needs to be done. There needs to be a feedback. There will be a consequence. Then that started to change the behavior in the team. So that's, that's still happening now. It's in progress. But that is a servant leadership. Yes, absolutely love it. But I think there needs to be balance as well. Again, like that bamboo, you know, strong and flexible, but, you know, it's also strong. I imagine there's ways to handle that consequence where it doesn't seem commandy or conquery. Like the Nils Vignet feedback, one that he, he shared with us before was, I've observed this, here's the impact that's having. Can you let me know what's going on from your point of view? You know, so you have that yeah. thing. And, and it, it comes up a lot. We hear of people saying, oh, my VA doesn't do their end of day report. They just, like I've asked them to do it. They just keep missing it or forgetting it. For me, that's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. 
it's like you're not asking them to do that much when you ask them if they could spend five or 10 minutes for their primary place of employment is ask them this one thing that makes a big difference in the business. If they can't do that, it means they may not be able to meet the minimum standard of being able to be employed by this business. It's as simple as that. And at one stage when I had 65 people, uh, I used to say, look, end of day report is optional. And we use that to determine which days you work so that we can calculate the pay based upon it. And so that was enough of a implication that like you don't do the end of the day report, then that's pretty much a signal to us that you didn't work that day. So it doesn't get paid. Yeah. And that was enough to make that happen. There you go. Across that many people. So if you're listening to this and you have someone in your team who won't do an end of day report, that's bullshit and it needs to stop. Yeah. But you can address it in a way that gets the result you need. And I wouldn't actually continue to employ someone who can't do that multiple times because that's a minimum requirement. It's about setting the minimum requirement of what needs to happen for someone to be able to be in the team. And if they can't meet that, it's not going to work. And then people say, oh, but it's hard to have that conversation and I feel so mean and bad or whatever. I say, well, actually, it's not you deciding whether they stay or not. It's them deciding whether they stay or not via their behavior. And if you focus on the behavior, and if their behavior can't meet the minimum standard, they are voting to leave the island. They're saying, I want off. This isn't for me. By their actions, they're voting to ask you to free them up so they can go on to their next journey. And hopefully, they'll get a growth lesson from it. This is a very important framing. When you let someone go because their behavior has voted themselves off the island, you're freeing them up to go off into where they're going to be suited better. And you're also gifting them an amazing experience that they can learn from. If you deny them that growth experience by hiding or shielding or compromising it, you're just delaying the inevitable. It doesn't help them Mm. if you enable them for a bad habit. And I also say this to my team members. Uh, One of our core values is communication. And they would need to let us know if someone is coasting or letting you know letting another team member fill in for them this can culturally happen sometimes in the philippines because they're quite pride driven and especially if someone's referred someone else in the team they wouldn't want necessarily everyone to know that this person's not Mm. meeting the standard because it might reflect badly on them cause them loss of face but i made it okay for them to let us know because i don't expect them to do the work of two or one and a half, they should be doing the work of what's reasonable and fair for one. And if someone can't meet that standard, we should let them move on to wherever they're best suited and it's not with us. Mm. Of course, there's, you know, education and training and maybe they suited to a different role. The thing, thing, just on that servant leadership, I don't mind the concept of it. And at our team retreat, I loved making the whole team coffees and stuff and I liked serving them and, you know, and letting them know that I'm not more special than they are, that I'm one of them. We're a team. I just don't like the name servant. You know, I was reading my daughter, Wizard of Oz, <laughs> each night. It's a very gory book, by the way. I, I think I might have an original version because the, the, the tin woodman is always beheading animals and stuff. And it's like having to explain that is quite tricky. And then there was a, one of the Wicked Witch of the West has enslaved these, um, this whole bunch of people. And uh, my daughter's asking, what's a slave? Oh, no. I have to like, explain it. But for me, servant, it's kind of just, I don't know, it's too closely related to things like slave. Like are we, Yeah, right. You know, are we working for them or are they working for us? That's where it sort of gets to where it's a little bit, you know, I guess as a business owner, you, you think, gosh, I put 
everything on the line for this. I take all the risks. I pay all the money out. I'm never guaranteed a wage. And, and now I have to serve these people, you know. But I, I'm totally on board with old coach and support yeah. and nurture. Yeah. But it's just the word that I don't love. And, it's just the word. And to yeah. be fair, the, the people who push it the hardest I've found are generally – there's often an association with religious aspects of it in the North American culture. So again, that's mm. too, for me, that's too much. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I get the whole idea of, of not being a bossy badass, ordering people to do this and threatening to kill them with steak knives or um, using fear as the big stick is a very, very common one. The fear yeah. thing, I imagine it comes from the way they were brought up or where they, we have to let go of that one. It's not the best lever to pull. And I'll, you shared a good book that you like. Good to great, and I don't know if you've ever looked up what happened to those businesses from good to great, but that's also an interesting Google search. But uh-huh. the book that I like, and I was reminded about this from one of our guests on the Maldives trip, John Blake, but he he reminded me about nonviolent communication. Uh-huh. And I purchased it in 2016 or, or sometime around then, and, and read it. But I reread it uh, on a plane trip, so I had a lot of plane trips lately, <laughs> and uh, it's great. Such a good book on communication and. That's a very EQ way of communicating that is non-threatening and non-emotional and non-ego based and non-fragile. It's just a more neutral communication codec for being able to communicate. And it's good with, if you're a parent, it's good if you're married or in a relationship, and it's also great with your team. A way to have non-inflammatory, non-disruptive communications. I highly recommend that book. It's a bit academic-y and a bit... Uh, you know, a bit sort of clinically written. So it's like I've had to bite at it in a few goes. And But what I do like is they have little exercises at the end of each chapter where you can test if you're actually absorbing the understanding of this. But it has changed the way that I communicate recently because it's just topped me up with some new software. And I just want to emphasize this. Lloyd, you've had real world in the trenches experience with massive banks doing huge projects. You've been trained by the best. You've been doing this for years. I've read a bunch of books. I've worked in real businesses and, and coached people for many, many years. And we're still learning and updating our software yeah. with new information. So yeah. I believe if we're a leader, we have a responsibility to be the very best communicator we can. And we're still working on it. And I think become, moving from a manager to a leader, a large part of that is constantly learning and getting feedback from people and getting feedback from other leaders and bouncing ideas off them. Is this how you'd have dealt with that? I'm always learning. Um, when I talk to my team members, my director of operations, I act as like a coach for them, but it doesn't always mean my solution is better than theirs. It's they'll, they'll raise with me and say, I've had this people situation. This is what I'm thinking of how I'm going to handle it. What do you think? And then I'll bounce my ideas. And, and quite often I learn from their approach. I think, oh, actually, that's a really good approach. I like that style. So I think it's really important for a biz, a, a someone who's going to be that leader to constantly look to improve, go on courses, get feedback, look within your network. Yeah, it's super important. And also about that book, I haven't read that. Actually, John mentioned that one to me on the on the Maldives trip and uh, it's made it into my Audible playlist, so we'll be getting through that soon. But I think a large part of being a leader is being able to communicate. Like just what you said, what Nils uh, says about how to provide feedback, I use a very similar formula. And a large part of that is just exactly how you're going to put your message across in a, in a way that's getting the facts across, but is not going to just, 
it's not going to trigger them. You know, you're, it's it's not about you. It's about this behavior. And so books like that are really good, as you say, software to help leaders improve because it is quite a change from being a manager, from being a, a manager who's been command and control now moving into something where you're now looking at relationships, how people work, what's important for the team. It's a different skill. So uh, one takeaway I've got from this podcast, I'll be straight on to that book after this. Love it. If someone was listening to this and they, they think, oh, gee, maybe I'm a bit commandy conquery, or maybe I'm not fully up to speed with the available awareness of what's going on in my team, can they have you come in and have a look and see what's going on and, and coach them through making things better in their organization? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we, we offer an assessment. And if they want to talk to me and just find out if we are the right fit about what they're wanting to do, then just reach out to me virtualdo.com com. I've been chatting with Lloyd Thompson this is episode 1040 and I always love our chats Lloyd we're bringing up some fantastic memories uh, <laughs> wow I've been it just reminds me I've just been through so much when I had actual jobs and um, <laughs> to be this calm and relaxed now it's really a, it's a I'll put it to surfing surfing's surfing's been a good outlet and having people like you around in, in my sphere, helping these busy visionaries has been, it's a godsend because I can just say, have a chat to Lloyd, see if he can help you out there. And, oh, thanks, James. And uh, yeah, putting out those fires and helping people learn not to start them. It's such a great skill. That's the difference between a, a manager and a leader. You, you've, we now know more about A players or not. And we, we've talked about servant leadership, a, um, a mixed bag, but a lot of fun. Thanks so much. I'll catch up with you again in another episode. Thanks, James. This is James Schramko. 